Please pray with me. God, please let us know your presence in this place as we hear about your word. And if there is anything in my words that are not of you and not helpful, please let us simply forget it. And if there is anything that you want to transform us with here so we can be more like you, please do so. We love you so much, and the cry of our hearts is to know you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So our text today, it talks a lot about preparedness and for the end times, for when the Son of Man comes again. And as soon as I started reading this text about watchfulness and preparedness this week, I started singing, Be Prepared, from my favorite childhood movie, The Lion King. I always take some time to meditate on the text before I research and start writing and preach about it, but Scar's voice kept interrupting my thoughts. Meditation quickly turned into a YouTube search for the be prepared scene in the old and new Lion King movies, and instead of praying, I was soon dancing around my house to all of Disney's Lion King songs and reminiscing about driving around in my parents' puke green V-dub van, blasting this soundtrack at full volume on cassette tape. I had a great childhood. <laughs> but back to preparing for the end times. I have long read texts about end days with trepidation. They're not my favorites. Maybe it was having the vision of Pride Rock under Scar's rule in my head, but any talk of the final judgment and end times that I heard as a child, it just made me scared. At first, I read all of these end times texts in our Bible, including the one that we read today in Luke, fearing that I wouldn't make it to heaven. I feared I had done too much bad or not enough good to be forgiven by Jesus and welcomed into eternal life, whatever that might look like. I was an anxious kid and wanted to always follow Jesus as best I could, and I didn't believe that I was ever enough. I don't think I believed Jesus loved me much, for I knew my sins, and I knew that they weren't very pretty. If Jesus knew everything, he must know my sins too, and for sure wouldn't want to hang out with me for eternity, right? I beat myself up with these thoughts. And maybe you can relate to this too. And then one day, I read Romans 8 as a kid where I learned that nothing in all creation could separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and this gave me some peace. I learned that the final judgment is less about punishment and more about making things right where all thrive, victim getting justice, victimizer learning and becoming well again. And I felt more at peace until... Until I started reading the literary struggle that is the Left Behind series. Anyone else? Anyone else read those? Those books told me that a rapture would happen where we'd all be taken into the air, apparently without clothes, because the books painted a scene of Christians disappearing and leaving their clothes in neat little piles, and this sounded terrible. And I read in these books that if you didn't make it past the rapture, you'd experience plagues of all kinds and an antichrist character that made even Scar look sweet and cuddly. And I will spare you the rest of the story details of these works of fiction. We don't need to remember any of that theology. But even once I went to seminary and learned that the idea of a rapture isn't a great interpretation of the text, 
and that Revelation is an ancient form of literature called an apocalypse that tells wild images and allegories to get people to understand a bigger truth. Once I learned these things, even then I didn't know what to think about these texts about the end times. And this trepidation is what followed me into writing this sermon this week. And I think the reason why I'm unsure about talking about the end times now in 2019 as I am an adult is this. I have a hard enough time understanding and living out the parts of Scripture that are more clear without adding all the ancient allegories and prophecies and apocalypses. I don't want to speculate on the end times when Jesus says we will not know the day and time and when I have enough to work to work on to understand scripture, and especially to understand scriptures that are a little bit more simple. I know now that nothing can separate us from God's love. I know now that we are forgiven. Isn't this enough? But there are still some pesky texts about the end of days in scripture, like the one that we read today in the book of Luke, and I can't seem to sidestep these. Jesus thought it important enough to tell all of his followers to prepare for the end of days, to be watchful for Jesus' return, and after all, I do love Jesus. I can't ignore his words or the sacred texts and prophecies he read or the apocalypses that his followers wrote in response to being with him. And this week, I was preaching on one of these texts for heaven's sake, so into the commentaries I went. And I learned some things. Our text in Luke today spans what I thought were a couple different teachings of Jesus. Two different discourses that he is teaching to his disciples specifically, this is what I thought. I imagine that this group of people, they're moving from town to town, preaching and teaching and meeting people and staying in people's homes, Jesus and his disciples. And I imagine in the middle of one of those days of walking from town to the next, they find a shady spot under some trees, and they sit down for a bite to eat before they continue on their way. And I imagine Jesus hears them talking, perhaps about their food or clothes that they have, or, or food they wish they could be eating that would be hard to come by as a traveling band of teachers without much money. And I imagine Jesus starts in with words maybe familiar to us. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? I memorized this text as a kid because I worried so much. I tried to remember that God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, that God fed the birds of the air, and certainly if this were all true, God would take care of me. But despite telling myself these words, I worried nonetheless about each part of my days. Maybe it's just part of who I am. And in the middle of worry, I find that people telling me not to be anxious doesn't usually help. <laughs> As I heard someone say once, never in the history of calming down has anyone ever calmed down through being invited to calmed down. <laughs> Have you ever calmed down when someone said, I invite you to calm down? Me neither. So I had memorized these words about worry and anxiety, but it didn't do me much good because there was more. There weren't two different teachings, two different subjects in this piece of our text. There were one, and they went together. There was more. This wasn't the end of the teaching. I hadn't read the second part of our text, the part we start in on today. Jesus says, 
Do not be afraid, my little flock, because your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail. Jesus doesn't just invite us to calm down, but tells us that God has us. Do not be afraid, little flock, because. And God gives us a way to prepare for whatever comes next in the future in this life and the next. And an anxious person loves to have something that helps them prepare. Jesus gives his disciples and us here some steps to take to calm our anxious hearts and prepare for the future, which is unknown. Jesus' roadmap for calm living is this. He says to live in a way here on earth that is grounded in things that will last. To focus our hearts on things that are good and that will last when we are long gone, things like love, like caring for others like relationships, like justice for the poor. This does our hearts good. This means we won't focus so much on making it in the world's life, on having the best things, on looking the best and being safe. Money and status are tempting for every single one of us. Instagram and other social media certainly don't help make these things easier. But Jesus calls us nonetheless to focus on what truly matters. This will help us not be anxious. To put our treasure in being loving and generous and doing justice and loving mercy, and from there our hearts will follow. If we are generous and abundant and loving with our possessions, knowing they won't last anyway, our hearts will be loving, generous, and abundant too. In our anxiety, we can focus on these things. Jesus has the rest. Jesus gives his disciples a roadmap, a checklist for not being anxious as they faced whatever would come ahead, tells them how to be faithful, like those that we read about in Hebrews this morning. And he tells them that they are Jesus' flock, that they will inherit the kingdom. And then, classic Jesus, he tells them a story. And it goes like this. There's a wedding happening, and the master of a house He's celebrating with the happy couple and the rest of the family in town, for those weddings were a whole community event. And in this story, in the parable, the servants of this master, they stay awake with their lamps lit. They stay dressed so that when the master returns, he can come inside where it is lit and where his servants can serve him, washing his feet, taking his cloak, as he's probably drunk from the night of celebrating. And Jesus begins his story in this way, in a way everyone could relate. He sets this familiar scene. But as is usual with Jesus, there are some plot twists. And the first one is this. The master comes back to his home from the wedding, and he goes to his front door and he knocks. Maybe he is drunk, but I don't know about you, but when I arrive at my apartment, I don't knock at my own door. Perhaps I don't do so because I have no servants. Perhaps the servants would lock the door from the inside to keep thieves out until the master came home. But this is still odd. Scholars say that this image of the master knocking on the door is similar to the same image of Jesus knocking on the door in Revelation 3, asking us to welcome him into our lives, receive his love, and join him in bringing the kingdom of God. It's a foreshadowing to Revelation 3. 
Jesus is, after all, the master in this story, and perhaps, whether they know it or not, Jesus is telling his disciples here that they are free to make the choice to receive his love or not. The master Jesus is not pushy or demanding. He knocks on the door. The master doesn't assume his servants have stayed up all night waiting for him, even though he might have a right to as their master. He kindly knocks, allowing them to come to him and let, them, let him in. This piece of our story paints a picture of a gentle and humble master. And as the parable progresses, something even weirder happens. The second plot twist is this. Jesus continues the story, saying that the master, once he sees that his servants have waited up for him, he enters his house, and he ties up his robe so that he can easily kneel. I imagine he puts on an apron. And then he washes his servants' feet. He tells them to recline at his table. And in the fashion of the time, he comes beside them as they recline and lay down at the table, and he serves them food, each of them from his own hand. Now, Jesus started off this story in a way that his hearers could relate. There's a wedding, there's a master, his servants wait up for him. But this piece especially, this would have been wild to a first century audience. This is so odd. No master would ever stoop so low as to serve his servants. There were clear roles in the household. There were clear differentiations between members of the house. Servants at that time were often people paying off debts or they were people of a conquered nation nearby. Most were simply a part of the household, but a less important part nonetheless. These people worked hard, and a master would certainly rely on them at all times to care for him and care for the house. As far as these customs and social norms went, this sort of behavior by a master of washing the feet of serving his servants, this wouldn't be respected. This master was forfeiting his right to service in a way, changing the social structure of his home, turning it upside down, honoring those at the bottom instead of doing things the normal way and receiving the honor and respect that was rightly his. And I imagine Jesus' disciples, they were shocked at this part of the story. Jesus goes on to tell more parables in our text continuing to tell his disciples to be watchful and to prepare for when the Son of Man came again. But I wonder if this story stuck with them as it stuck with me this week. I wonder if it calmed their anxious hearts as it calmed mine. In reading it again this week, it calmed anxieties I had for the future and reminded me of the truth about the end of the world, whatever that may look like. This text, Jesus' teaching and his story reminded me of these things, these things that calmed my anxiety and brought me peace. And they are this. First, this text reminded me that we have a map, a preparation guide for what is to come, whatever that may be. Whether it is like, whatever it is like at the end of the world, or even right now in these moments right in front of us, Jesus has asked us to be ready to live life to live life focusing on what is true and what will last, to care for others and to not be worried about our possessions. Jesus calls us to be grounded in love here on earth, living and loving abundantly, to keep our lamps burning 
And an anxious person like myself always likes to have a list and be prepared. We don't go into the future without directions. We know what our part is and what we are called to do. What our master asks of us, his servants. And Jesus has got the rest. We don't need to worry about it. And this calmed me this week. And secondly, number two, this text reminded me that I am also one of Jesus' sheep, and I have nothing to fear. Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock. Many people speculate about what the end of the world will look like. People have been trying to predict Jesus' coming for centuries and have made movies and written books all about this. You've probably seen many. But scripture says over and over again that we will not know the time or day that Jesus will return. And there's so many different stories, it's hard to know exactly what it will look like. But we are Jesus' sheep. And Jesus tells us not to fear and tells us that we will experience the kingdom where all is made well. And finally, this story that Jesus told the disciples reminded me of the first and foremost reason why I don't need to be anxious in the first place. I was reminded first of the character of God. Even though I know that I am forgiven, even though I know that nothing can separate me from God's love, I still need reminders of how loving our God is. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. His mercies are new every morning. I need songs like that to remind me. Jesus is the master in this parable, and Jesus is our good master, just like he was for the disciples. And this good master Jesus, when he comes again at the end of things, he will take care of us. He will help us recline at his own table, and he will serve us. We don't know exactly what is coming, but we do know the character of God, and God is good. So we don't know the day or time the Son of Man will return. We don't know what the end of the world will look like, but we do have a road map. We do have a good shepherd that helps us live in ways that please God, that will cause our good master to welcome us into the kingdom with open arms, table set, and ready and abundant. And we know that our master is faithful, is true to his word. Jesus didn't just tell stories about what God was like, what God is like as well. He didn't just tell us to not be anxious without showing us that he would stand by us. He doesn't just say words and not follow them through. He lived it out. The image of our parable today is of a master who would give up status and social norms to care for and serve his servants humbly and beautifully. And maybe this reminds you of another story. Jesus, when he was about to die, when he was eating with those following him, he, like this master, took off his outer robe, tied it around his waist, and he knelt before his disciples to wash their feet. This is the character of our God, the master who served the servants. This master is faithful. This master keeps his word. He has shown us this. We don't need to fear but God understands when we do. We have a roadmap for living and for preparing for whatever will come our way at the end of times or simply for tomorrow. And we have a good shepherd, God, who is faithful, who is abundant, who is humble, and who loves us beyond all that we can ask or imagine, whose steadfast love never ceases, whose mercies never come to an end, who takes up his robe and kneels before us, who washes our feet and serves us. 
provides for us, gives us a meal. And as we read texts about the end, let us remember that while we don't know all of the details of the future, our God does, and our God will take care of us. He keeps his word. So let us come and adore our master, bringing our worries and anxious hearts to him. For he knows us, and he knows what we need. Amen.